And um, let's just recap very quickly some of the key themes over the last few weeks. In week one, um, boldness is behaviour born out of belief. Uh, in other words, what we believe will affect the way that we behave. And uh, if we've got great faith, then that will result in great boldness. Uh, week two, what we pray for, re- what we pray for reflects what we believe about God. And the big challenge there that week was how big is our God? How big are our prayers? You know, do we believe that God is an awesome God? and uh, a God who is big enough to answer even the greatest of our prayers. Are we prepared to ask him for more boldness? Then week three, Dan brought us last week that we speak boldly about what we believe deeply. As Jesus said, out of the fullness of our hearts, our mouths speak. And if our hearts are full of God, full of truth, full of his grace, then guess what's going to come out? And today's theme is this. Boldly trust and obey, for there's no other way. Now, there's an old hymn with the chorus which says, and some of you might know this, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Now, I think this sentiment of that is uh, is okay, but I think that the word happy is probably a little bit weak. Uh, You know, we don't just obey God in order to be H-A-P-P-Y. All right? We obey God because he is God and we are not. We obey him because we know that his ways are best, even though when we sometimes question that. We obey him to honor him in our actions as well as our words. And we obey because we will never find purpose or fulfillment or joy in any other place like we will find it in being obedient. Now, if you've not been around for the last few weeks, I know a number of you have been off on holiday, or maybe you suffer from amnesia or age-related forgetfulness like me, then let me just give you a quick uh, recap of the storyline that we've been following so far. The Lord's disciples, Peter and John, went to the temple to pray. It was about three o'clock in the afternoon. They came across a guy who had been crippled since birth. He was about 40 years old. And he was begging for money. And they said, sorry, we haven't got any money. But what we give you, what we have, we give you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And Peter helped the guy to his feet. And he started walking and leaping and praising God. And Dan last week gave us a little bit of an athletic uh, illustration of what that might have looked like if you were there. Well, I'm not so much about the athletic, but it was an illustration anyway, okay? You know, you, you call it what you like. I think he called it skipping. Yes. Amazing miracle uh, that gave then Peter and John the opportunity to speak to the crowd. And uh, their words were these. Please move on. Help me, guys. Why do you stare at us as if by our own power of godliness we have made this man walk. It is by faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And a large crowd gathered, as you would expect, including the Sadducees, who heard Peter not only accuse the crowd of being responsible for crucifying Jesus, but declaring that God has since raised Jesus 
from the dead. Now that detail, as we've said before, would have utterly irritated the Sadducees who didn't believe in um, the resurrection of the dead. And Peter and John were imprisoned, and the next day they were brought before the Sanhedrin, which was the highest court in the land. And this must have been incredibly threatening for them because uh, these guys had the, life, uh, had the power of life of de or death in their hands. Very, very intimidating. And they were asked again the same question by the Sanhedrin. By what power or what name did you do this? That is, heal this guy who had been crippled for 40 years. And Peter answered... It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. An amazing, amazing act of courage here by Peter to speak in the way that he did to people who had conspired just some weeks before to get Jesus crucified. These people had the, the power of life over death or, or life or death over them too. <clears throat> And when the Sanhedrin, we read in chapter 4, verse 13, saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, and were astonished <clears throat> and took note that these men had been with Jesus. <clears throat> they commanded Peter and John to stop talking about Jesus. Peter and John's response in chapter 4, verse 19 and 20, but Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. The members of the Sanhedrin threatened them some more and then let them go. Actually, I think the Sanhedrin was quite pragmatic here because um, if they had punished Peter and John when the crowds were just going wild with excitement in a frenzy because of what they had seen, that this crippled man was healed, then I think there probably would have been a riot and a riot would have brought the Romans down very much upon them. And they would say, well, if you can't control your own people, we will come in and do it for you. Are you still with me? It's a long story. Peter and John, they then go back and meet with their fellow Christians and pray together. And as we said a couple of weeks ago, it was an amazing prayer. Because instead of praying for protection for themselves or praying God to do something to their enemies... They actually prayed for more boldness, but it was boldness that got him into that place in the, uh, on, on the first occasion. And then they prayed for further miracles. <clears throat> Amazing prayer, which was answered when they were then filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Some amazing miracles followed. <clears throat> Sick people were brought into the streets. And not even hands were laid upon them, but when Peter's shadow just fell over, over them, they were healed, we are told. And uh, more crowds gathered, the sick were healed, the demonized were set free, and the church kept on growing. Wow, what a story. <sighs> that brings us really to where we are today. And uh, it's Acts chapter 5. If you've got your Bibles, we'll put the uh, verses up on screen. Acts chapter 5, verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them into public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. 
At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at the loss, wondering what, what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We give you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Okay, what are we being told in this passage? Some important principles for our lives. The, the first important principle is that bold obedience often triggers opposition. You see, many Christians believe that if they are obedient to God, then no harm will ever befall them. They will live a life of utter serenity, perfect health, and be liked and respected by everyone. That's a great idea, isn't it? If it were true. And it's not true. You see, we are followers of Jesus. Jesus is the one who was obedient to his father's will, and yet he was beaten, ridiculed, flogged, and crucified. And as servants, we are no greater than the master. And Jesus instructed his disciples that they would need to take up their crosses daily and follow him. Now, that's not a very popular teaching, is it, really? You know, it's much easier to focus on something else, anything else. And I'm sure you'd agree with me when I say that, you know, those scriptures about denying ourselves and taking up our crosses aren't especially inspiring. They're not the kind of scriptures that we, we, we print off and then stick to our fridge door. We like happy verses, don't we? Those verses which speak about God's faithfulness to us. Those promises that we find in Scripture for God to bless us and to keep us and to protect us. Those verses which speak of God's grace and mercy to us. But let's just for a moment be serious about this and recognize that bold obedience often triggers opposition. It's a fact. The moment that you stick your head above the parapet and choose to be obedient to Jesus, you're going to get shot at. Jesus on one occasion said, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. 
In other words, he was saying that you need to be probably more worried when people praise you than when they persecute you. And, you know, we're, we're humans. We've got feelings. We, we love to be loved. Do you love to be loved? We all do. We all love to be loved and respected and honored and appreciated and valued. No one wants to be opposed or criticized or disapproved of. Yet when we choose to be boldly obedient, we will be opposed. I don't hear so many amens to that one. <laughs> Mutter to yourselves, go on. Okay. I was thinking about this this week and I'm thinking, how do I illustrate this? I thought probably the best way to illustrate this is by looking at my own life over the last so many years. And I thought of a number of stories. So I, I hope you don't mind me sharing these with you. In 1989, um, I was so opposed uh, by many people. And the thing that I was opposed for is, is, is founding a brand new church on uh, an estate on the outskirts of Cardiff. And surprisingly, the opposition on this occasion didn't come from unbelievers. It didn't come from the, late, the, the local coven or some satanic group. The actual the opposition came from those who were Christians, Christians who belonged to the church where I at that time served as assistant pastor. You may say, well, why on earth should they oppose you being boldly obedient? Well, the idea was that we would take a small handful of people from the mother church and then start a new church with them as care, uh, as, sorry, as core members. And some people opposed the idea. They said, you can't do that. We'll be losing people from our church. Others said, you don't need to start a new church on the outskirts of the city. People have got cars today. Surely if they want to go to church, they can drive into the city centre. And the opposition from some quarters was actually quite fierce. I thought of another example in 1993. Our church was a very, very different church in those days, not only the buildings, but the, the congregation. It was a small congregation. And um, uh, we, we purchased a 48-foot cabin from Yardley Rugby Club, a porter cabin. And it was put on our car park up the top end there, Bamford Street. Up until that time, we only had one very small room in this church, which was considerably smaller anyway in those days. One small room for a building um, and for running a Sunday school. And we could only take kids up to the age of eight. So the porter cabin that we bought was really to house our Sunday school. And I know that there are a few of you were around uh, in those days. You think that was a good thing, yeah? Yeah, good thing, bad thing, good thing. Good thing. Not for everyone. Uh, this time the opposition came from our neighbours. We didn't like the look of it. And there were petitions and newspaper articles against us and, and, and so forth. It was, it, was, it was never easy. But we chose obedience and God more than doubled our Sunday school in the next few months. 1994, I shared with our then congregation that we would start a day nursery in our church building. At the time, as a church, we weren't making particularly a, a particularly significant impact on our community, and we knew that we needed to be innovative and do other things in order to reach out to people. And I believe that a nursery would provide us with the means of making contact with young parents in our community. 
Some people said, yeah, it was an adventurous idea and uh, they, they liked the idea. They thought it was a good idea. But some other people actually left our church because I was, and I quote, pandering to the middle classes by having a nursery on our church premises. Nothing could have been further from the truth. That wasn't true at all. They still left. 1995, I then shared with the church that we had an opportunity would never come our way again. I believed it to be a God opportunity that adjacent to our church building, there are a row of derelict houses which are very much an eyesore to our village. And I believe that we should purchase them, renovate them, and then use them for a host of community projects and ministries. That the village should come alive again, that we could use them wisely as a church. Now, lots of people are really excited by this project, but not all. Um, I remember some people told me that in uncertain terms that my ideas were rather bird-brained. I don't think they used those words actually, but, um, but they said as much. We can't do this. We're a very small church. You're going to bleed us dry. Where's the money coming from? It's far too big a project for 70 or 80 people. How do you know that God is in this? As I say, bold obedience often triggers opposition. Move on a few years, 2011. Uh, I spoke to a number of community leaders about the need to start a food bank in Tamworth. Surely, I know what you're saying, no one could ever oppose a food bank. Want to bet? Most people saw it as a good thing. But I was told by some that Tamworth doesn't need a food bank. It's not that sort of town. We're not in a city. In a city, towns might need a food bank, but we don't in Tamworth. Maybe that's why we've given away 100 tons of food in the last six years, because Tamworth didn't need a food bank. One organization in the town kicked up a fuss that they would only donate food to us. <laughs> Wait for this. If we could guarantee that the food was given only to Tamworth people and to make sure it didn't go to any of these foreigners. I wondered if that included the Welsh. <laughs> so as you'd expect, I told the gentleman to stick his donation. <laughs> well, the sun don't shine. I think that's probably the first time that he's ever been told that by a clergyman, but there we go, that's another matter. It was unbelievable. You see, when you stick your neck out and choose obedience, then you can expect opposition. And when you choose to get passionate about your faith and you start really going on for God, don't expect your workmates or, for that matter, your family to applaud you. They probably won't get it. They'll think that you're a bit of a fanatic. But isn't that amazing? When you go to a football ground on a Saturday afternoon and you watch these people sing and chant and wave their hands in the air, acting like big kids, are 22 guys kicking a bag of wind around for 90 minutes, they are called fans. But when anyone gets excited about God of the universe coming to change the world through ordinary people like us, then we are fanatics. Don't get it. Something is wrong somewhere. Secondly, bold obedience 
often releases miracles. <coughs> Verses 18 and 19. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. This obviously wasn't the only occasion when this happened. What I love about this is that we know Luke to be one of the greatest historians of, of, of all time. He was also a medical doctor. And he writes about this great miracle in such a low-key, understated way. Look at those words. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Let's stop there for a moment. An angel opened the jail. Now, if I'd been writing that, I think I would have been a little bit more dramatic than that. Do you? I think I probably would have used every literary tool available to me to enhance the story and heighten the drama. I would have given every detail. I would have written about his commanding presence, his height, his appearance. I would have taken a selfie and then published it on Facebook. Why doesn't Luke provide us with anything more than this just simple statement? We thought about that. Because when you walk in obedience to God, you aren't surprised by miracles. Catch that. When you walk in obedience to God, you aren't surprised by miracles. And those who walk in obedience to God, radical obedience, regularly witness the miracles of grace and the miracles of God's provision and the miracles of God incidences and the miracles of changed lives. And they expect them and they kind of live in that whole area of spiritual anticipation. They are not surprised by miracles. That, of course, doesn't mean that bad things don't happen to them. Or that on occasions they're on the receiving end of opposition. After all, Peter and John were in jail. And throughout this series, I know I've, I've given many, many stories. And I've shared stories of times that Julie and I chose boldly obedience. And in doing so, we, we witnessed examples of God's miracles of provision, such as the time when we left jobs and home and security to train for ministry in Bible college. And these for us were, were significant lessons that we learned very early on in our Christian journey. And sometimes we are called to be obedient to do things that we have no desire to do, like forgiving another person. It may be a husband, a wife, a family member, a friend, a work colleague. And God says, Trust me in this. Trust me in this. I want you to do this my way. Forgive them. Forgive them completely. And there is a miracle which is unleashed, and it's the miracle of deep joy in our hearts in place of anxiety. It's the miracle of gaining a friend who was once an enemy. It's a miracle of this deepening relationship and trust with God. And sometimes God wants us to obey him in the area of finances. Did you know that Jesus spoke more about money than he did about prayer? Why is that? Money is the number one rival to God 
for the human heart. So, what have we got here? Bold obedience triggers opposition. It releases God's miracles. And thirdly, it always requires faith. You see, every time that God requires you to do something, it is going to take faith for you to obey him. In chapter 5, verse 20, the angel tells the disciples to go into the temple court and, pro uh, and, and proclaim the message of the new life in Jesus. And Jesse, in case you've missed the story for, so far, this angel tells them to go back to the very place where, they've been pre where they previously had been thrown into jail, not once but twice. And also to go back and to do what those people who have authority to kill them said they were not to do ever again. That takes faith. The one thing in reading this, uh, this account, they didn't ask questions about the wisdom of the angel's words. They didn't put up an argument. They didn't, know, they didn't need to know why they needed to do this or what God was going to do through them or what would happen to them. They just did it. And our problem sometimes as Christians is that we want to know the details first. Yes? You know, Julie and I, before going to college with two young children in the mid-80s and grossly insufficient funds, God gave us a promise. You see, we were absolutely scared stiff that we were making the wrong decision, that we were making a foolish decision, that we were putting our children in jeopardy. And then one day as we were reading the scriptures, we came across uh, what we believe God's promise to us, Psalm 37, 25. I was young and now I am old, and yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor their children begging bread. And we sense that God has spoken to us through that. But did you know what? Even though we believe that God had spoken, we still wanted to know the details. How are you going to do it, God? We've got no doubt that you can do it. We've got little doubt that you will do it. But a little bit more detail would be helpful, please. And I think we're all a little bit like that, aren't we? Oh, yes, Lord, we'll trust you to really show us how it's going to be done first. Let us really know about this. Because we're not always that prepared. Somebody once said that uh, faith is all about this. It's, it's an acronym for forsaking all. I trust him. You see, there are many ways that we can boldly obey the Lord. You see, there are many ways that bold obedience causes us to sort of stand out in faith. Let me give you some examples of this. First of all, forgiveness. Lord, if I forgive that person, will they accept me? Will they be gracious to me? Will they hurt me again? What's going to happen, Lord? And we want the details, don't we? And the Lord says, don't worry about the details. Leave that to me. Just do what you've been asked to do. Forgive that person fully. Yeah? Forgive as you have been forgiven. Another area is the area of finance. 
where the Lord might be challenging us to become more generous or liberal with our finances, to bless other people, and to give to kingdom causes. You know, next Sunday, for example, we are going to raise an offering here for the work of Elim in those areas of um, disaster areas throughout the world. But, you know, see, we might say, Lord, if I start giving regularly and sacrificially to your work and support the mission of my church in this way, that a way that actually scares me, how are you going to meet my needs? And the Lord says to us, don't worry about the details. Don't worry about the details. Leave that to me. You just do what I'm asking you to do. Give as generously as you can. Trust me in this. What about the area of witnessing? Lord, if I start sharing my faith with my workmates and they ask me questions that I can't answer, what shall I do? I look foolish. And the Lord says to us, stop worrying. Start obeying. Just do what I'm asking you to do and leave the details to me. You see, when the time comes, the Lord himself may put others alongside us. The Lord will give us the right words to say. And even if those people might consider us to be foolish, don't underestimate the work that the Lord is doing in their hearts, which is invisible to us. Yes? And the Lord says, trust me in this. And that journey that we've been on as a church these uh, last 25 years has been absolutely awesome. But it has been one step at a time. And we have chosen, as a church leadership, to obey whatever the Lord was asking of us. Whenever the Lord opened the door for us, we walked through it. And do you know what happened then? The Lord gave us another door to walk through. And we walked through that, and do you know what happened then? There was another door that we were asked to walk through. You, you get the idea, don't you? And there were all these doors that the Lord opened. And all we had to do is just to be obedient. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light on my path. What's that mean? Well, just think this one through. If a lamp is shining on our feet, that means that we only have enough light for the next step or the next two steps, but no further. And the Lord was calling us, you see, to obedience, one step at a time. And if the Lord had revealed probably more than one step at a time, I think me personally, I would have been totally overwhelmed by that. And I could, could not have comprehended the amazing journey that we have been on as a church at the beginning. I think I would have frozen in fear. I would have been like a, a rabbit caught in the headlights. Bold obedience will always require faith. And I believe that some of you are going to be asked by God to step out in faith and to do something which is well beyond your natural ability somewhere near in the future. I believe that. I'm convinced of that. And my question to you is, are you going to stay in the security of the boat or are you going to get your feet wet? Verse 21 tells us that the disciples did not delay. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. You see, they acted promptly. 
And when God prompts you, I would suggest to act promptly, act immediately. It may be that the Lord will drop into your mind some personal ministry to start praying for. Well, don't leave it to next year. Do it. Or to make that phone call, or to send that email, or to give that financial gift. If the Lord has laid that on your heart, you know, don't debate with yourself and others perhaps, and then maybe think about it in three years' time. Act upon it. For some of you, I already sensed this morning that the Holy Spirit is touching some things in your life. Something which is quite specific, something which is not necessarily related to anything that I have said already. But even as I am speaking about obedience this morning, that the Spirit has just said something to you, something that you are to do. And I would say, do it. Verse 28, the religious leaders lashed out at Peter and John and said, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. In other words, they were saying, when you know Christ like we know him, when you've seen everything that we've seen, when you've heard everything that we have heard, you cannot help but talk about him. No matter what you say, no matter how you threaten us, you can threaten to kill us, you can threaten to beat us up, you can threaten to put us in jail. We're not going away. And that was bold obedience. You see, God desires all of us that we move out of our safe harbors and that we start experiencing God's grace and his power at work within us. And as we do that, and for you that might look very, very different to the next person, might look very, very different to me. People will not necessarily applaud you or think that you're wonderful. So what? So what? John Wimber used to say, live your life before an audience of one, and that one is God. And if our desire is to receive the well done of Jesus then nothing else could re should really matter. And what my desire is for me and for us is that we should not get to the end of our lives and wish that we had taken greater steps of faith, that we had been more reckless perhaps and exciting and adventurous and daring and courageous in our journey of faith. But instead of that, we stayed in the safety of the spiritual harbour. It's one life that we've got. So, again, my words to you today would be carpe diem, Latin for seize the day, make our lives extraordinary. Don't settle for being cultural Christians. You know, we can do that so easily, can't we? That we settle for being cultural Christians. God's got far better in store for us than that. Guys, if you'd like to come back, we'll uh, just uh, draw to a close in a couple of minutes. But all I want to say is that the disciples acted promptly to what God had told them. There was no delay, no stalling, no procrastination. And I sense this morning, actually, that God, by his spirit, has dropped various things into our lives today, things that we are to do, maybe in the area of finance, maybe in the area of, uh, of forgiveness, maybe in the area of being bolder in our workplace, 
and maybe stepping out to do things in serving God in ways that we have never done before. And I do sense also that maybe we need to respond to that this morning. You see, it's okay saying within the, this place on a Sunday morning, yes, Lord, I, I, I get that. Uh, yes, I, I should be a bit bolder. I really should. But I sense that the Lord is just saying to us, no, no, no. Come on, I, I want you to confirm this in your heart. I want you to um, do something. And the thing that I'm going to ask you this morning to do, if, if you sense that the Lord has spoken to you this morning in some way, Maybe that you're not a Christian and the boldest thing ever would be for you to say, yes, Jesus, I've, I've heard all this stuff and I, I'm convinced that you are the way is actually to put your life in his hands and say, Lord, I am going to follow you with my life. And that's, that's, that's the boldest thing ever, the most wonderful thing ever, because he can do so much more with our lives than we ever thought we could. But I do sense that the Lord has saying something here to some of you. And I just want to help you and facilitate you in this. And therefore, I'm just going to ask you, before we sing our final song, I'm just going to ask you to stand in a moment. And if you are saying, yeah, God, what you've spoken to me about this morning, I'm, I, I'm with your help and with your grace. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go for this. I'm going, to, I'm going to be obedient. Now, you see, if you're threatened by this, threatened in this place this morning by fellow Christians, then whatever you are saying in your heart that I'm going to be boldly doing out in the week, you'll never do it. Because if you can't be bold within this place, you can never be bold anyone else. So I'm going to pray. And if you just sense this morning that uh, God is saying something to you, I know we don't tend to do this very often. I want you to stand now and I want to pray for you. And then we will sing and others around you as well. Okay, has, has God spoken to any of you today? Just stand. Okay. Maybe very, very specific. The person next to you may have no idea what that is about. But you know, and this is something between you and God. And you are saying now, Lord, help me. Give me strength. Give me that boldness to fulfill that which I know that you have spoken to me about this morning. Hallelujah. I'm going to pray, and then we will sing our final song. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for the way that you have spoken here to so many of our lives today. We give you praise and thanks that you're a God who is not far away, but you're a God who desires to speak into our lives and you desire and you have a great plan and a purpose for our lives. And there are many acts of boldness here, even to stand up before friends in this hall today. And I just pray, Lord, that you will just at this moment, by your spirit, confirm something deep in our hearts. That you will give us your grace and you will give us your empowering presence, enabling us, Lord, to forgive others, to be more generous in finance, perhaps, to trust our lives to you without knowing the details, not to be afraid of opposition, what others would say about 
us as Christians. Many works going on here, Lord. By your Holy Spirit, I pray, do something new and powerful among us now, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Would everybody else please stand as well as we sing our final song this morning?